Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. I'm very excited. I was already teasing Sean just a second ago, so everyone's smiling. It makes me feel good. Um, now, while I'm teasing everybody, I want y'all, make sure you hit the buttons. Hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that good stuff so you can get your email in the mornings whenever we go live, which is, of course, every day. If you have any questions or comments at all for anything we're talking about, by all means, put them in the comment section and we can engage them just like this. Salty Jinx pumps in before Winter Storm chimes in. Good morning, guys. <laughs> morning, Salty Jinx. Nice. Eric Lister jumps in. Good morning. It's Salty. Nice. Salty, good morning. There we go. We got some back and the, forth in the The comments. game is like already it. afoot. It is beginning. Now, Craig, it's been a while. Really appreciate you being on here. Do you want to give us another 30, 45 seconds who you are, where you come from? And then oh, yeah. Jump right into um, the combo. So I'm a, a former Navy SWIC, which is a little special ops unit in the U.S. Navy that drives around in pointy little boats and harasses fishermen. Um, after that, I was in the um, State Department's Personal Protective Service, um, basically like a glorified bodyguard for people in Iraq um, and did some private military work outside of that. We, uh, My business partner and I co-wrote a book on training special operations personnel or training people for special ops selection. The book's called Building the Elite. And we've been doing that since 2010 with a very high success rate. Like the majority of our clients, regardless of what course they're going into, and we have clients all over the world. Um, most of them make it. Um, and now that's what I do full-time. We train people for soft selection courses. Outstanding. Well, I am... I'm looking forward to this conversation because today we are going to continue talking about playing the game. So Sean had this great idea in the green room before we were talking about how we were going to engage this. I'm going to turn it over to you, Sean. What are we doing? All right, thanks. So uh, first things first, before I even launch into anything, I got to hit uh, Craig up with a question. It just popped into my head. And so uh, yesterday, uh, Craig had asked me, because I was on uh, the Building the Elite uh, podcast, which is going to launch hopefully in 2037 or something like that, <laughs> so that I don't have to listen to it. <laughs> um, so um, it'll launch soon. Uh, but uh, Craig had asked me yesterday to send a um, a bio uh, on my live uh, for the verbiage for the podcast. And I thought, um, and I think I, I typed something along the lines of, geez, I've never had to write a, a, a proper bio before, but I'll give it a crack. And so as I was typing things out, it, it like it's embarrassing to type. I feel embarrassed to type out my bio because it feels like, I don't know, I'm really, I don't like talking about myself that way. So as I was typing it out, something that Craig just said, where he, um, claimed or made claim to the fact that they have an excellent um, success rate. And in my verbiage that I sent to Craig yesterday, I'd stated that within my classroom when I was a computer system engineer, uh, I had good successes with my students, so much so that a publishing house contacted me to write a book to explain why I was having so much success with my students, which I, did, I wasn't really keen to do. but. As I was typing that bio out, I was really uncomfortable, man. Like, uh, I felt like I mm -hmm. didn't want to claim what I've accomplished in the past, which is maybe imposter syndrome, or I'm not sure what it is, but I struggled to do it. So, and that's at nearly 60 years of age, I find it hard to type out what I've accomplished in my life. So now I have a specific question for you, Craig. How long did it take you to be able to rattle off your verbiage that you just rattled off and and get comfortable with it? You know what I mean? 
I, I just made that one up on the spot, but um, what? Yeah, it, it's taken a long time. And I actually, I've done podcasts before with like other people in the soft community who were like, wait, let's try that again. And had me like, I, because I had the same thing, like I couldn't really describe it well. And it was awkward and I don't like talking about myself, but I, 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 I mean, I, I think for one, you Canadians are, are especially strong on that humility and quiet thing and like not describing your background very much and there's like the other side of the spectrum which is like the seal team guys in the u.s or like everything they you know like you hear about at the moment you start talking to one of them but um it's something weird you have to get comfortable with if you have a public life as a former special operator because you spent most of your professional life just deliberately not talking about any of this or deliberately side, you know, sidestepping any of those conversations and, and not letting anyone know who you were. And then you, in order to like have a reason to be in these conversations or talking to someone from this perspective, you have to explain your background and who you are. Um, so I usually just mix it with a lot of self-deprecation. Like literally I, <laughs> most of my job was harassing fishermen and misappropriating tax dollars. So I, <laughs> I don't, I don't overly glorify it, you know? Yeah, I uh, I've I've tried that tact myself, and 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 it amuses me. I mean, like I have I have to have fun with it, which I guess is the game within the game of trying to put across the point uh, while still trying to have a little bit of fun at my own expense uh, to uh, move through the moment, I suppose. So, yeah, self-deprecating is a thing for sure. Uh, thanks. I, I, it was just a random question, but I was curious if you had any pro tips on how to work through it. And I guess uh, what I heard, to paraphrase, is it's just going to take a really long time and it's going to be super uncomfortable. Was Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and like that involves a lot of editing on my part because I've had like nine different jobs as well. Like I had a biotech startup for a while. I wrote a bunch of patents on biometric monitoring tech. Um, I found all kinds Ooh, of weird things. Nice. Buddy. And I just, I just delete that when I know that like most of this audience is interested in like military tactical kind of stuff or like human performance kind of stuff. Um, Cause it kind of gets the general idea across without having to read a whole resume, you know, which is the hard part as well. Maybe this, uh, maybe this should all be about Craig today in this uh, episode and dragging out his uh, deepest, Every darkest uh, career secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a question for the two of you, actually, because you guys brought up an interesting point in that the quiet professional, the like the special forces model of being the quiet professional, where Craig, you said you have to kind of duck and dodge those conversations. And you have to, if somebody asks, uh, Sean, you told me earlier about, you know, if if people knew about your top secret life back in the day, you would have been crucified very quickly by mm -hmm. the military, right? So I'm wondering how much of playing that game of being the quiet professional, like, oh yeah, I just, you know, I work in the military, not a big deal, to actually having to play that out into the real world as playing a different game completely. What's what's that like? Do you think that has something to do with it of just having to be really good at that game, keeping it quiet, and now it's such a difficult thing to come forward with? Mm, I I think maybe I don't know if Craig asked me that specifically in the podcast uh, or what's the covered something of. like that, yeah, 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 and and I think that um, certainly from my generation of Tier One Special Operations, when I left the JTF two. I mean, it's not like I, I left with a cover story. We we weren't <laughs> we weren't that squared away back then. I mean, it's mm. we didn't have like a playbook that you just flipped open a binder 
and read that single page that gave you all the answers as to how you're supposed to um, your, comport yourself in the future as a veteran or as a just left tier one and now you're a civilian. Like I didn't read that playbook. So when I stepped out onto the sidewalk, I'm going to say it casually. I just made things up. I just made it up as I went along. Like the stuff that I didn't talk about were my own decisions that I wouldn't talk about those things. Or if someone asked me specifics because they, they had heard maybe that I used to be in that game. Well, I'd try to figure out a way to tell a, not the story. And so I was kind of making it up as I went along, not like having fun with it or, or, you know, being a cartoon character and lying or anything weird like that. What I had to do was move through the world after I left the teams without a playbook and not talk about the playbook and not talk about the teams and literally be writing the playbook in real time as I was making things up, if that makes sense. Craig, what do you think? I, uh, I mean, one thing that I, I learned, even when I was still in the military, was that uh, people generally don't, aren't thinking about you to the extent that you might think like there's a thing called transparency bias where we always kind of impose our our internal life on someone else and assume they kind of know more about what's in our head and our life and are actually interested in that but most people aren't so most of the time when you're in that position talking to someone in the civilian world first they don't necessarily care they're just waiting for their turn to talk about themselves and then even if you were to describe what you do, they're not going to understand it. So you can go with very vague or non-descriptive titles or, or you can kind of brush it off. Like, yeah, I was in the Navy. I did, you know, I didn't just kind of like let it float past. And most of the time you don't have to go into any sort of detail. And then if you do, you do that, like, like escalating one bit at a time, giving them just enough detail to, satisfy their curiosity and then move on but it's either people aren't going to know what you're talking about anyway or they do which means that a handful of keywords are sufficient to communicate what you need to say like if sean is talking to someone else from the special ops community and he says i was a jtf2 that's the end of the conversation they know what they need to know you know like you don't have to talk about it a whole lot more so in either case, you're able to communicate either kind of an absence of information and just roll the conversation onto them, which you've probably practiced quite a bit, or you kind of do like this verbal handshake, like secret handshake thing, where you just kind of give just enough information that, that you do the nod and then you move on. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, people aren't that interested in it if you're not trying to make it interesting, which is an ego gratification thing or something like that. For me professionally, I. I draw a line where I never talk about anything operational. I, I like in our book and anything like that, I talk about our, like the training that I went through and like interpersonal things, you know, but I never talk about anything that we did operationally. And I just draw all of our lessons from training experiences. So I can subtract that entire operational life and it's enough just from the training stuff to to communicate what we need to do. And then I can leave all that other stuff in the dark and, and leave it there. I like that. That's, that's how I have tried to run it myself as well. That's how I've tried to explain my life, uh, as well. And so the interesting thing for me now, Craig is, um, that, that worked really well. 
like 10 years ago. Mm. It worked even better 20 years ago. <laughs> it's, it's harder nowadays because of the proliferation of information out on the interwebs, because of Call of Duty, because of all of the things that are starting to gather steam in the sense of uh, it's it's now more and more apparent what goes on in special operations units, even to the layman. I mean, you watch any casual movie nowadays, and there's definitely someone Aussie rappelling down a skyscraper to do an explosive entry and through a window. I mean, it's definitely going to happen. Every mm -hmm. second movie's got that scene nowadays. Yeah. So the general Im uh, information is out there to the general population. And so... Um, if someone walks up and asks me a specific question, then I'm going to try to duck, dodge, dive that all day long. But uh, if someone walks up and, and they're familiar with the general sense of special operations, and they ask me a general question that I can give a general answer with just a little bit of an edge to it, to, and, and you know, that edge might reference how intense something was or how adverse something was or how... Uh, uh, chaotic something was. Uh, if I add just a little bit of training edge to that, then it's sometimes enough to push them into their own arena or into their own trajectory of trying to become a better person. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I find that today is is a different day than 10 or 20 years ago. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, people... <laughs> are better at knowing the acronyms now for the most part um, because there's like, I mean, like there are so many vets now that have gotten out of the military, like, like, you know, the post nine 11 era, everyone was busy. There was a lot, there were a lot of people doing stuff. Now a lot of those people have gotten out and they're just bored and hanging out on the internet and talking about what they did. Talking. So there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot more information out there uh, and people are a little better at navigating it, but um <clears throat> if the dividing line is like, how much do I have to personally reveal? I can, I'll use a similar tactic where I'll, I'll give them enough to answer the question they have or indulge their curiosity. And then I just use like, I think these are also just coping mechanisms from being extremely introverted. I just roll the conversation back onto them and get them to talk about themselves and, and make it about them. And usually they end, they'll have a conversation and realize they don't actually know anything about me. But they they felt really well listened to, and and I just leave it at that. And I, I don't know if that's that's like a combination of like actual opsec and then just my natural tendencies as an introvert to not want to talk about myself. That's good, man. I like that. Secret squirrel techniques. I like it. The uh, <laughs> so I I had a question on this too. Is that you know we see this a lot as you guys were saying. We see you know a lot of vets are out there. A lot of people are basically screaming from the rooftops. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me to a lot of their benefits, right? You're seeing a lot of successful veterans, entrepreneurs, people like that who are obviously doing the work, but they're, you know, they're also utilizing the fact that they have a certain gravitas from whatever unit they were part of. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think of that? Like, cause like, yeah, it does help them work. They're still doing the work. Let me put it that way. They're still doing all the work that's required to become successful, but they are still utilizing that, uh, a little tip of the hat, if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Sean, mm -hmm. what do you think? Uh, I think it's a slippery slope that's fraught with danger, unless you're paying attention. And and I mean, as an individual, if I'm out there uh, trying to engage in some form of 
solicitation. I'm trying to create some sort of business opportunities uh, by putting myself out there in a legit way um, versus a legit plus 10% kind of embellishing way. Those are two radically different things. And so uh, I'll give a good example of my position on this. So my Instagram feed, sometimes ads will pop up and it will be for something insane. Like uh, I just developed a three week program that's going to turn you into James Bond or whatever. And uh, it is a, it's, it's all of the images, all of the sexy images that a person would ever want to see to want to become tier one, etc. And as you watch these, these little slideshows or a little video clip or something that is developed to become so appealing to the general masses that they definitely want it, uh, I've then sent a, a, a comment or a DM to the owner of the site who's putting out this kind of information with a simple question. Just uh, curious, did you ever serve in the military? And uh, sometimes the answer is, my friend did, <laughs> or etc. So you can use your imagination hat as to some of these things that I've kind of tried to understand on what's going out there in the way of offerings. And I want to say like eight times out of 10, it's people that have got zero qualifications to be able to offer what they're offering. It's, it's a massive smoke and mirrors uh, marketing pitch. Now, contrast that directly against uh, Building the Elite uh, uh, podcast or Building the Elite Instagram page, where the material is legit. It's put out nearly every day, and it is free. And I feel that, that uh, the body of work that Building the Elite has done is almost like an encyclopedia of how to become awesome. And it's based on um, sound practices, time-tested, experience-based, within the special operations community uh, to some degree supported. And so there's a massive difference between what Craig and the gang is doing on one end of the spectrum versus the other end of the spectrum where it's it's shallow experience and obvious um an obvious attempt to try to scam people to some degree and so the the game out there on the internet there's everyone's playing a game in this particular uh, area where they're trying to gain clients or gain money or gain fame or gain spotlight uh, and uh, it can be played really well uh, and by play i mean done well or it can be played really poorly done poorly and uh, i'd be curious as to what you guys think about that on the ads that you guys have seen out there craig what do you think <clears throat> how, i don't know how many of these ads i get my our instagram I don't have a personal one. I just look at our business one and it's really random. Half of my ads are for cooking and stuff. So I don't, I don't get, a, are these like people doing shooting courses or these like all of it, all of it. It's, okay. it's mostly, uh, I'll say mostly, um, how to prepare for special operations. So oh, training yeah. plans and, uh, and maybe it's cause I follow you guys. Are you guys the ones who are responsible for all the goofy ads that I get? 
I'm going to stop it's following possible. you if it gets rid of the ads. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there, there, there are ads <clears throat> that are, um, you know, uh, fitness based, preparation based, or more correctly, and it's probably because I spend a lot of time researching or digging my uh, head into mindset. Uh, a lot of these things are mindset coaching to become special operations. Hmm. Uh, it's, and they're, I mean, they're, they're dead ends. They're, they're, I mean, there's nothing there that is of a value other than someone put effort into creating a smoke and mirror show. So, uh, I don't know if you've Pretty seen pictures. any of these, but, uh, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we, I'm sure I've seen a lot of those that are in that space. Um, I, first, I, I do want to caveat, like, I'm not the arbiter of anyone else's life, and people are free to do whatever they want. Uh, you know, like, my opinion on someone else's life or business or whatever does not matter. Um, but, yeah, I, I've seen that's kind of that field, a lot of the how to prepare for special operations guys are people where their qualification for, for that was an N1 sample of they went through special operations selection at some point, which is a lot like having an athlete who thinks that their ability to run fast qualifies them to teach other people how to run fast. When if you ask them their method for doing that at scale with a diverse population who have different backgrounds and different needs than they did um, is just telling them to run faster. You know, like they, they don't actually have a method or a system that can apply to anyone outside of themselves. And they're not even sure they couldn't explain why what they did worked for them either. They're just saying like, I did it, do a thing that I sell and maybe you'll be like me, which is not true. And that's one of the tests that I look for when I'm evaluating like whether someone is worth paying attention to is how well are they able to apply the things that they talk about to people who are not them. Because if they're not doing that at scale successfully with a diverse population who is distinctly different from them, then most likely they're just telling them, and they're not even aware of this most of the time, they're just telling themselves a story, a narrative fallacy about what it is that made them who they were or who they are. You know, like, this is the magic workout that got me here, whatever. And that's probably excluding 20 years of something that happened athletically, developmentally, genetically, whatever, to get them to that point. And they're just saying, it's it was this thing. This thing that I can just so happen to sell you for $19 is the thing that did that. You know, it, and I don't think in a lot of cases that's malicious. It's just that people don't know any better, you know. It's like the dad at the high school football game yelling at the other at the kids to football better because he was a football player in high school. He doesn't know how to coach it, teach it, apply it to anyone else but himself, but he remembers that he played football and he footballed good. So he's going to yell at people to do that. It's the equivalent of that guy selling a $30 PDF on the internet to people. And, and that's a lot of, I think, what we see. But if I think of the people who use their special operations background outside of the special operations world, there are a few, you know, a handful who've kind of stayed in that niche. Like you could think of the black rifle coffee guys that are presumably quite successful where their whole thing is just they put a picture of an assault rifle in a bag of mediocre coffee. And a lot of people buy that because of the brand image. The, the symbology. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's, that's it. That's the product is, is like, it's, it's an image. Mm -hmm. 
there are other people who maybe have started legit training courses, doing shooting skills or something like that. Um, but most of the friends that I knew just transferred their fundamental personality traits, like their work ethic, their conscientiousness, their emotional stability, their ability to rapidly learn in a stressful setting. And they did that in a new domain. So now they're lawyers, they're diplomats, they're entrepreneurs, there's finance guys, you know, they're people who are just fundamentally who they were and fundamentally what got them through special operations selection to begin with is now being transferred into a new domain. And they're doing that successfully. And I think that's probably the most admirable or genuine use of that background. And then there's like the poison version of that, which is the guy who was in some kind of special ops unit who now has a beard and a business suit and is therefore a business guru. Like for no real reason other than that, they have a well, business the suit beard. and a beard. I mean yeah. the beard. Yeah, and that's their whole thing. And it's like- It's like a PhD, talking. man. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's those guys. But I think most of the people who ethically and successfully transferred their special operations background to something else, just really what they did was transfer their fundamental personality that was honed and developed in the special operations world. But if you think about it outside of things like those kind of meta skills, like self-discipline, work ethic, emotional stability, nothing we did in the military transfers that well specifically into the civilian world, unless you're a butler or an assassin. And there's not a huge market for that. So like, no, I tried. I tried both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I even combined the two, but even that say, didn't help. I was going to say, Sean, Sean is a butler assassin right there. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a key. Uh, now, yeah. I, had a, I had a question on this because we were talking about this earlier uh, in the green, green room a little bit for, of the people that enter into special operations with the concept of, you know, I want to do the work versus the people that enter into the conversation or into that world that, you know, they want the patch. They want the, they want the, the look or the feel of it, right? And I'm wondering how many people that want the patch get through selection, do the job, realize, you know what, this isn't for me, and then get out and become those people, if you know what I mean. I wonder if oh, yeah. that's kind of like a, a, a streamline versus the people who want to do the work, show up, do the work, and then, okay, cool, now I'm going to go work somewhere else, if, if you get my drift. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, I think in in like... I guess through that progression, you're looking at someone who has a, a need for external signaling devices, like, mm -hmm. like they need some other object to tell them and to tell the world who they are, because without that object, they're not sure of the answer to that question. And that tends to negatively correlate with success in selection in general. Like you've probably, like Sean, I'm sure you saw a lot of those guys who, if you ask them why they wanted to join this unit and go through this miserable process, they just said it, it sounds cool, you know? And, and to some extent, like these are 18, 19 year old kids in a lot of cases, like they're, that is a part of the motivation, but it, it, it with the most successful, reliable ones, it's not the only motivation. Um, they'll have some kind of deeper reason that they can articulate that that is more closely related to a reflection of their value system in this process. And, and the more mature ones will recognize it as a process of like becoming something through experience, um, where the ones who need an external signal, who are probably also often the ones who have a lot of stupid tattoos. That's, that's another like 
external signal that you'll see a lot and that seems to negatively correlate with success, the ones who need another display device to tell a story to the world for them. Um, those are the ones who are also quite shaky. But yeah, I think those who are fixated on those superficial signals are probably also more likely to use them when they get out as the definition of their identity as a as like you know like basically this is my personality this patch mm -hmm. that i have right here this tab this special colored hat whatever this is who i am this is my personality and and that's what they've got um if they made it through which i think it becomes unlikely unlikelier that they do but yeah, those are also probably the guys who are going to be the most vocal and have like 19 bumper stickers and, you know, all the shirts and all that stuff. And they just have to tell the world about it. And, and I think that comes down to a sense of like fundamental insecurity or a lack of like a basically a relationship with the self. Like they're not entirely clear on who they are without that external signal device. So it becomes very important to them. Yeah. Get out of my mind, Dude. man. This was Hang on a second. Years ago, we're we're like uh, I think Craig has been going now for about fifteen minutes, and all I want to hear is another fifteen minutes of Craig dropping the freaking heat, <laughs> right? Because I mean, Dang. he started off with a, a straight up super legit statement with, "Well, I'm not the arbiter of dot dot dot," and so coming in all non judgmental. Uh, <laughs> coming in like judgments. really really even keeled and then like not being judgy but like calling out like obviousness things that we all see from 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 time to time and um and clearly representing in my perspective uh, what is going on out there and saying it in a way that was balanced and diplomatic and uh non-confrontational but uh stating what i see so clearly happening out there and so uh now with that in place like anything that craig just said is not offensive and and should <laughs> and and should act actually as an opportunity for anyone who just listened to that to think am i that guy am i doing that because if i am i need to get a grip on that so i think that these kind of conversations as long as uh, and our guests typically when they tune into this kind of stuff are pretty open-minded. And so what you just dropped was super important. I don't want to overlook that. And you just did it in such a great way that uh, I feel like that should be a 15 minute clip, not a 90 second clip. You know what I mean? <laughs> you should, you guys should see my book. It's just like 2154, 2345, 2640. It's constantly like, oh man, this clip just keeps going. It's fantastic. Um, and you know, the funny thing is, or not the funny thing, but the, the more accurate thing is, this was me, right? You you described me for the first 10 years of me getting out. I had no concept of who I was without the job. Without the bumper sticker. I got the bumper stickers. I got the tattoos. I got the shirts. I got all the things because that's what I really, like, that's all I knew. And so I just wanted to hold on to it for a very long time. And it wasn't until pretty much the collective, I'd say probably 
yeah maybe maybe a year ago about this time is when we started well sean started poking into my own brain doing the exact same thing so doing craig stuff <laughs> doing exactly that now i have a couple comments i want to hit on just real fast before we jump forward here uh tanya jumps in she says i didn't write the book on how to make it through selection but we did write a book on making it through selection <laughs> yes absolutely i think they might be talking about you craig <laughs> uh, uh, carl jumps in here with an interesting question too he says do you think wanting to embrace and conquer fears is part of the want to join tier one what do you think craig i'm gonna come to you first what do you think yeah i absolutely yeah i i think that part of what people are doing there is just answering a really hard question, which is like, who am I as a person? And can I handle this incredibly difficult thing? Like it's, it's kind of hard to articulate that, but when someone goes to one of these selection courses, they're learning something about themselves that no one else will know about themselves without having gone. Like there are very few things that someone can go through in life that, will fundamentally strip a person down to who they are at their core and, and make them face that. And whether you're successful in selection or not, you've answered that question. Like you've been in that fight and everyone else walking around will at, at to some level wonder that about themselves. Like, would I be able, what would the answer to that question be? Like, who am I really when everything is taken away and, and, they'll they'll never know honestly like unless some other life circumstance throws them into a very difficult position there's there's a lot of people who will never know the that answer to who they are and what they're capable of and and whether they could conquer those fears um yeah that's that's what i have drop dropping fire left right and center sean what do you think i agree with that it and i've said it uh, previously that uh, tier one selection uh, or becoming a member of uh, tier one is to me, I saw it as a puzzle that I didn't know how to solve and that it was going to be a huge challenge that I wasn't sure I would be successful in. I knew that it was going to be extremely adverse, which I have always appreciated. So stepping into that uh, and, and adding all of those ingredients together, it was essentially this, and it's exactly what Craig said. I wanted to learn me. I wanted to see what I could do. I wasn't sure if I would be capable of, but I wanted to know if I was capable of. And so um, to me, it was like, I, I, I don't know how, as Craig said, I don't know how to articulate how, um, how much of a privilege it was to go through that process in order to better understand me. And so I wish that every human being could do selection and they might last an hour. They might last a day, maybe even two days, who knows, but however long they are in that selection process, every minute that they're in it, they're learning who they are a little bit better. Now, uh, if you can stay in for the full range of selection and then move your way right into tier one after an extensive process, by the time you get badged, you're, you're a completely different person. And by that, I mean, you now know who you are, not who you thought you were. And those are two different people mm -hmm. Think, thinking that you're something 
is different than knowing what you are. And the only way to understand that is to do things, as Craig said, that are similar to tier one selection, that, that are so testing across so many variables. They're so diverse and deep, these tests, that eventually you expose yourself to yourself and then you get to decide what you're going to do with it whether you're going to proceed forward or whether you're going to crack or quit or fail or or you've seen enough and you don't want to see any more these are these are like um rites of passage to the order of magnitude that a lot of people can't understand and so through that rite of passage at the end of it you come away with clarity on who you are as a person. I wish everyone could experience it. Mm. Craig, you got any further thoughts on that? Um, I think what John just described also matters relationally in that the people that you go through selection with, or even knowing that someone is from another, like a similar background and they've, they're part of the soft community, that environment gives you the opportunity to see what your friends are like on the worst days of their lives. Like during some of their absolute worst moments, you're able to see who they are and what kind of character they have. And, and so you know who they are all the way down, all the way through the layers. And that's one of the reasons that people have such tight bonds within soft units and why there's this kind of shared respect or understanding between people who have those backgrounds because you have some idea of who they are. And I think it's another thing in the civilian world where it's easy to be kind when kindness is easy. It's easy to be generous when generosity is easy. You know, it's easy to, to do all of these things when it's not hard, but, but to display strength or kindness or consideration or bravery or whatever when it's the absolute hardest thing to do um, is where you start to separate people and see who they really are because if you're in just the civilian world and there are situations in the civilian world where you can learn this about people but for the most part you don't fundamentally know who someone is when things are going to be really hard when their true character is revealed and I think that's one of the benefits that you see in these communities and it's one of the reasons that people are so tight-knit and why they have a hard time like meshing with people outside of it because they don't know who people are without having seen them in those tests and in those moments john you know craig had, craig had said something uh, a little earlier about how uh the bumper stickers and the t-shirts and the hats and the beards and all of that stuff that the usual um accoutrement and here i am wearing a freaking airborne uh, hoodie and uh, uh but i don't have any bumper stickers so i guess that's a bonus and my beard is a bit weak so and no tattoos no tattoos so uh the the interesting thing about this uh, airborne hoodie and um when i left the teams like I didn't look in the rearview mirror and I didn't wear a t-shirt that said uh, who I was. And I only just started wearing these kind of things a couple of years ago uh, to <laughs> my, now I've got a bumper sticker on my chest, but I never wore these kind of things for, uh, for, for a lot of years. And it's because uh, when I left the teams, I wanted to play the game in a new way for me, like not, 
not with any uh, veteran advantage or not with any t-shirt advantage or beard advantage. I just went out um, and, and tried to smash in my way to, to see success uh, at the time in the various careers that I had. And uh, all along the way, I didn't rely on uh, what rank was on my sleeve or what qualifications I had or that one time I Aussie rappelled down a thing. None of those were parts of my conversations uh, out there in the big world. Uh, my conversations were based on the career that I was in that wasn't reliant on having a conversation about the things I used to do in the past. Though those things in the past allowed me to do the things at that time in the present to be successful in the industry that I was in, I just didn't talk about it. I didn't have to talk about how my discipline and focus allowed me to become, uh, you know, a certain thing in a certain industry. I just did, but didn't talk about all of the common attributes or characteristics that are necessary to have success in tier one. Uh, but now I find myself like wearing bumper stickers on my chest and starting to talk about a little bit to some degree, uh, some of these common characteristic characteristics or traits or some of the ways that you can live your life in the sense of human betterment in order to have better success, uh, moving towards a better life, whether you were ever in tier one or not. I think that no one has to be special operations. In fact, nobody even has to be in the military in order to start living like a special operator as an overarching goal or thematically applying some of the things that we talk about over here or that we talk about in this podcast today, these things that are available to everyone, but not until you uh, uh, wrap your mind around the fact that you're going to engage in that process, that you want to be uh, able to live a life that is predicated on some of the great lessons over on building the pod uh, building the elite podcast verbiage on instagram if everyone would read that every morning and then apply some of that verbiage that day to their day you don't ever have to be able to spell special operations but you can live in a way that leads you towards a special operations oriented way of living i feel uh, Craig, you got any other thoughts on that? Or I got a couple comments here, but yeah, I, I was thinking about the what Sean is describing. Like, I think his use of the, you know, like the external signals is probably the result of his moving into a mentor role, where it's basically yeah. a form of advertising to help expand his reach or his scope in doing that, so that he can work with and help more people. And it's it that's primarily what it is. Uh, uh, aside from that, like if you think of how Sean described himself when he got out of the military, how he didn't have any of that stuff, there's this saying that a rich man doesn't have to tell you that he's rich. Um, and generally, the more secure someone is with themselves, the less the less likely they are to feel the need to explain themselves it, to random strangers, to to anyone at all. Like they're just okay with who they are, and they don't feel that impulse to explain. Um, and it, it made me think of this. My my wife and I this summer went to the East Coast to spend like three weeks on the beach where her family is from. And she has some family there who are like, oh, you guys don't need to rent a car while you're there. You can you can we have a spare car. Just borrow that for the three weeks. It'll save you a ton of money. And it was like, great. And we went and got the car. And it was like the 
crappiest car I've seen in a long time. Like, you know, like the paint has demolished or the sun has demolished the paint off of it. It smells odd. It makes weird sounds like it's dying, like it's struggling just to, just to function. At it's a wounded animal. Like, yeah, it was bad. It was, it was like weird stains everywhere. And, and I, I, so I've had this thing for a long time of always being conscious of that urge to like explain yourself, you know, like to, to people and that driving that car <laughs> was one of, I got judged by so many like teenage girls on bicycles <laughs> <laughs> and, and I talked to my wife about this and she did the same thing. Like she was getting gas. And it, she was, we're in New Jersey where they pump your gas for you. It's like a law that someone pumps your gas for you. And there's this, this girl pumping her gas for her. And she just spontaneously said, it's not my car. It's not my car. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> you feel this urge to explain this thing that you're kind of insecure about because you feel like it might represent a reflection of who you are as a person. And it's a bad representation of that if that's who you are as a person, you know? And, and I think, the same thing can happen with people who are insecure in their careers and who they are as a person and their skill at jujitsu and anything like the, the stronger your urge to just explain yourself to random strangers because they're judging you or you feel like they're judging you. Um, probably the deeper is the deeper your sense of like a lack of self or, or a lack of confidence in who you are as a person so like that driving around in that terrible car was like a, an interesting exercise in in practicing that like being mindful of that need to explain myself and absolve myself of these insecurities or feeling bad about this thing mm-hmm. um and it it's worth being mindful of like most people aren't driving around in like a dramatically worse car than they normally drive but if you feel like you have to tell people something about yourself to feel accepted by them even total strangers then it's worth kind of like looking into to who you are and the relationship you have with yourself, you know, like your own confidence of who you are as a person. I love that. You're, you're hitting on all the marks and I'd like you to get out of my brain, please. <laughs> Satch put in this comment here. He's like, Craig just peeked into Chance's brain. <laughs> Not just a peek, like he cracked this thing open and we're looking at it wide open right now. Craig, Which the is, x-ray machine. Right? <laughs> just looking at, my, looking at my own head. And I wanted to bring this up because I think it's a great point is the fact that um, I used to do that all the time all the time anybody would ask me about anything and i would somehow bring it into the military i would some oh well mm. this happened when this happened because of this because of da, 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 i would always bring it back to that and uh in the last say maybe six or seven months i've rarely even mentioned the military anymore i you know if mm. somebody asked me about a particular thing and i'm like oh yeah it happened years ago you know not a big deal and they're like what happened and i'm like oh well i was in the army i tripped it was, it's not a big deal and so it be, it's now become a like a distant past rather than a yesterday it happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that has a lot to do with it and just uh, understanding and accepting of where I am, who I am and all these things. Yeah. Allowed me to just put, close the door on it. When, when did you realize that? Uh, just these last, uh, say about a week ago where I realized it's actually been happening. And what did, how did you feel about uh, that uh, realization? It was relieving. Nice. Like it was just like a weight, like, oh, I can let this go finally. Nice. So mm. yeah, I think that it's an, you're dead on the money, Craig, in terms of like 
what I was going through and what I was trying to portray was there was always this explanation of, well, it happened because of this, or, you know, I, I can't do crowds because I don't like people because, you know, it, da, 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 all the way back to when I was in the military or like suicide bombers in Afghanistan, right? Like, that's not why I don't like people anymore. <laughs> that's not, that's not the reason <laughs> behind yeah. it, right? Yeah. So that is, uh, it's a great explanation. I, and I really wanted to just hammer that point home. So it was fantastic. And that, and that, that doesn't detract from anything you've accomplished or like who you are as a person. It just means that you're fundamentally more confident with who you are and where you are right now and that you're looking forward rather than anchoring on something in the past and using that to tell the world who you are. Yeah. And, and, and not only does it not detract, like how you just put that across pal is like, it's a win. It's a freaking Olympic podium win, you know, being able to, uh, understand that and then publicly, uh, mention it. And then hopefully someone who's listening to this right now or later today, uh, will hear that and think, yeah, man, that's kind of how I feel. I can do that as well and encourage them to kind of drop the two anvils off their left and right shoulder and just uh, lighten up and get on with being freaking awesome, you know? Yeah. I, I thought of an example of someone who lives, I think, near you guys. She's in Calgary. Uh, Chandra Crawford. Um, she used to run an organization called Girls Gone uh, Fast and Female. Um, <laughs> okay, choose wisely now. <laughs> fast and Female, uh, which is for okay. um, like female athletes, like a mentorship thing. She's a Canadian Olympic gold medalist in skiing, nice. cross-country skiing. And me and my wife were hanging out with her and her husband in uh, Canmore. They have a, like a, a condo in Canmore. And Steph was like, I want to see your gold medal. That's so cool. Like you would never know if you were hanging out with Shannon. Like she would never mention it. And not because she's like trying to suppress it. She just doesn't care. Like it doesn't, doesn't occur to her as being something like an important part of herself. And my wife was like, I want to see it though. Like, what do they look like? like? Are they heavy? And she's like, I have to find it. I don't know where it is. And she had to go rustle around in a room and she found it behind a dresser with like a bottle of perfume that she'd been looking for for two months. Like, like it was, it was a project <laughs> to even awesome. figure out where this thing was. And then she brought it out and you know, like it, it was the most like, non big deal thing for her because it's not like the thing that defines who she is as a person it's just a thing that she did one time and and it's the that thing that she did is the product of who she is as a person but it doesn't it's not the sole definition of that and and i think that's what i think all of us are kind of working towards like to do great things but also to not pin our sense of identity on the accomplishment of those things. Because, you know, like if she had tripped and gotten a silver medal, she'd still be the same person, you know? I just thought of a really great analogy and I think I'm going to turn it into some sort of merch somewhere, oh, but no. like you can climb the mountain, but you can't take it with you. Yeah. What do you guys think? Like that's, that's, that's all right. Bad. Let's do it. Well, it's not a t-shirt though. Uh, well, you'll, we'll see when I get the imagery out of my no, head. Don't do that's it. That's going to happen. The, um, I got a, any other thoughts on that before I. Well, I, I just, a, just a quick one. I, I, though I, I love the spirit of that conversation and I love, uh, that's the way, uh, it was presented the medal, not a big deal and et cetera. <clears throat> However, I'd just like to state that that's a way, but another way is to do all of that. And then realize, hey, people will find some inspiration in this moment if I just flash my medal 
every once mm-hmm. in a while rather than lose it behind the uh, chest of drawers. <laughs> and so, you know, I like I feel the same way, man. And and s- same with my sons, like uh, the medals that they've won in BJJ or what Nordic or whatever, like most of those are in the garbage just because I know it sounds terrible, but it's, they just have no real sense of they're so important to them that that medal is worth more than anything else. I mean, they're in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Along with a lot of my uh, things that I've accomplished in the past are, I don't know, they're on a garbage landfill right now, just because I am not focused on those kind of things. However, the other side of the coin is, for some people, they'll gain inspiration in seeing those medals, or they, if, if I got to hold that Olympic gold medal in my hand, it would impact me and, and would maybe fire me up somehow, maybe. Uh, so I think that these kind of um, ideals where an individual doesn't need that kind of external uh, validation or, or isn't into that kind of flashing the things that they've accomplished in the past, like I'm not, uh, well, I still have kind of almost a duty or a responsibility to from time to time flash a medal or whatever uh, as the proxy to uh, inspire people that they too, if I can do it, they can. And so mm-hmm. I think there is a case to be made for it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I mean, it's what we talked about at the beginning of this or, or in the middle where like now you're using like your, your shirt to, to signal to people, mm-hmm. like, to start a conversation, to help people understand who you are and what you have to offer. And it would also be something you use like on a website when you do an introduction to a podcast, like you're going to use these things as needed to like inspire people or establish your qualifications for having an opinion on this subject. And, and mm-hmm. Chandra uses her metal and her athletic background in the same way, you know, with fast and female or, or the mentorship work that she does, like the, the teenage girls that she's working with trying to steer them towards sports. They know she's an Olympian, but it also isn't the only thing that she is. And, and that's not, you know, like the basis of her personality, which is the same for you and kind of the fundamental concept we're talking about i love that how uh, by the way how did you get involved in uh, like i mean canmore's gorgeous how did you end up uh, in that sort of neck of the woods or getting in, involved in that uh, relationship uh i met her when i was working with precision nutrition like a oh, long nice. time ago uh nice. 10 years ago probably and we just stayed in touch and then we put together a trip and we just went up there to visit them with some other friends in canmore like partially because yeah, Camor is beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, do the tourist thing, but it was also just a social thing to go and hang out with them. Oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely. Next time you're in Canada, you have to give me a show because I. Dude, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really annoyed that uh, we didn't hook up. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, we're, uh, we're just about at time here. I'm going to hit a couple of these comments and then we'll do some uh, final thoughts and then we'll shut it down for the afternoon. But uh, do really appreciate the conversation. Craig, this has been awesome really really awesome i just loved every minute of it so um it's been a little too good though a little too too awesome i'm a bit irritated with craig cracking it out of the park this much especially for an introvert as well like what the heck it's slow slow it down pal you're 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 showing up sean so now he's feeling uncomfortable i'm i'm competitive now now i'm in competitive mode it's on here we go (laughs) well salty jinx jumps in with this uh he says i think the unfortunate part is some people won't mature soon enough to make that leap and attempt a selection they never understood the why for themselves until they burned off some of their youth and found some of the answers you needed to seek that level of challenge every day what do you guys think craig 
Any thoughts on that? Mm, I mean, yes, that's probably true. Um, and if, and if someone's missed their window, and also like that's not the only sort of rite of passage kind of thing someone can do. It's not the only hard thing someone can do to find out who they are. Like there are lots of other avenues for that. Um, but yeah, hopefully if someone, if that is sort of the direction they were going, but they, were, they weren't, they were overly rudderless to, to make the commitment to do it then. And they missed their window. You know, if you're 40, you're not going into a selection course anytime ever again. Um, but you can find hard things and you can test yourself in other ways. So it's never too late to still answer that question. You just have to find a different form of a test to do it. Sean? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, if I would, if JTF2 hadn't have been a thing or hadn't have been invented, for lack of a better term, when I was in the military, then I would have missed that window of opportunity of being in special operations because it didn't exist. But when it was created, I took that window of opportunity and, and rolled my dice and went all in and was successful. And so I will call it, I got lucky. I got my window of opportunity. But then when I left the military, I wasn't satisfied with that. I was looking for other windows of opportunity, which, I mean, right about the time that I was writing that 700-page book, after teaching my day and night class, thinking, this is insane, that was a rite of passage. That was a window of opportunity to become an author, for lack of a better term, which is something that I'd never considered, nor had I ever considered being in JTF2 before it got created. Lots of things in life will show up in front of you, and I could rattle off a bunch more things that I've engaged in as window of opportunities that are freaking hard. So hard that by the time I come through the other end of the process, I can look back at it and think, well, that was fairly legit. That's how I think of windows of opportunities. When something shows up that I want to crack out of the park, however long it takes me, that's that's time to engage. That is time to get to work and turn it into something that later in life you can look back on and give yourself a little bit of a nod for the effort that it took to accomplish whatever it was, that you can have a certain sense of small satisfaction, call it it was acceptable work, for lack of a better term, that many years later you're feeling pretty good about. So the game is all around us. It's in the past, it's in the present, and it's in the future. And it's our responsibility to identify these windows of opportunity. All of the JTF2 windows of opportunity that will be in front of all of us for the rest of our lives until we die are there every single month, every single week, and definitely every year. So just get to work, figure out what it is that you want to nail, and then start nailing it. Yeah. Now, you got some more thoughts on that, uh, Craig? I, now, the one example that came up for me was uh, having, I have a one and a half year old daughter, my wife, and as an example of like a really hard thing that is not in the military, raising kids. And like, I learned that, I realized this like in the first couple of months with our daughter, like, I don't know how a single parent can exist and nobody dies. Like, it is so hard to it's do. It's so hard. So like, so... <laughs> Outside of sauce selection and stuff, like if, if that's not for you or you've missed the window or whatever, like that's as one example of an incredibly hard thing that is tough to do well, um, that is available to most anyone. Like that is that is one of an everyday challenges that, that where people 
don't know, have that opportunity to like kind of find out who they are and develop who they are and have an impact on the world. I I would agree in concept, but I would tell anybody don't just have kids. <laughs> don't do this challenge, that. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, this seems like it's going to be hard. My new right, David Goggins it. challenge. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, so. well, you know, so uh, just to play with that, and I know we're real close to the end, so I'll make this very brief. You know, uh, I was changing diapers while training for 24-hour solo mountain bike races while coaching athletes around the world. So you can be busy at work, you can be busy at home, and you can be busy in your window of opportunity called cracking it out of the park. And so parenting is hard. But when the family's in bed, it's my time to start cracking out whatever it is that I want to crack out that next window of opportunity to become a world champion, as it were. So... I think that there's lots of hard things in life. Parenting is super freaking hard, but I don't think anyone should limit themselves to, oh, I'm doing the hard thing right now. I can't add hard to hard. Yeah, you can. Mm. Yeah. That, that is an excellent point. Absolutely. Um, now, last couple of comments, and then we'll do some final thoughts. Uh, Satch jumps in here. He says, I think anyone can experience a form of selection. They just have to hold themselves accountable through their own tests. I think it's pretty it could be accurate as well. Salty Jinx jumps in here. It says, Sack, Satch, seek challenge and rise to it. I like that a lot. Um, so, and oh, he got one more here. So, agreed at Salty, not only test once, but always with progressive difficulty, making it harder. I like it. Um, any final thoughts on anything we've gone over so far today, playing the game, anything at all? Craig, what do you think? Nope. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything else. <laughs> Dropping wisdom bombs through the whole conversation. He's just making my freaking life hard is what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I like it. laughs> John, what do you think? Final thoughts? Uh, I'd, I'd like to go with Craig's uh, nope, but uh, I've got to win, so I'm going to add something. Uh, to the to the final com comments there right at the end, and uh, to Satch and Salty Jinx, I know when Satch said... Uh, in, in uh, quotation marks, uh, selection is available to anyone. We can all engage in selection, yada, yada, yada. In the spirit of things, I agree. However, I don't want anyone out there to be confused. There's selection that you create yourself each day that you think is selection, but it ain't. There's only one selection, and it's such a freak show that no comparison can be made to actual selection and the selections that we create on the daily within our lives that we think are hard. You can't understand hard until you go do something insane called selection. Everything else is a downgrade from selection. And again, you can make it as hard as you want, but you'll never be testing yourself as hard as if I'm testing you on that day. So selection, if I'm running it, is gonna be a whole lot different than if you're running your own selection. I hope that makes sense. You know what I'd like to see actually is somehow you getting onto the show SAS Selection or something like that, one of the uh, those selection TV shows where they put celebrities through stuff. I would love to see you as a directing staff on one of those. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I, 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 when I was DS or directing staff uh, during selections in, in tier one, I enjoyed it, man. And it's not that I enjoyed the punishment or the pain or the suffering or the tempo or anything. I loved observing the human mind. It was, I, it's a fascinating place. Selection is something that can only be understood 
by being in it and then instructing on it. So you see both sides of the coin for the totality of the experience. And I wish everyone could do it. And I wish everyone could then see it done so that they could understand the fullness of how, how powerful that uh, process is. And so, uh, yeah, it'd be fun to be on uh, one of these uh, shows, of course, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't accept it. It'd be fun, but I wouldn't do it because uh, I, I've kind of learned what I need to learn in that uh, process, and it would just be a, a repetition. Uh, I'd rather just hang out and podcast and learn uh, things from Craig, even if he does finish, <laughs> even if he does finish the show with a simple nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, didn't even need a pop filter on that one too. It worked out quite well. The, and to, to your point, Sean, uh, you would be teaching many, 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 many people quite a lot of things. So it wouldn't just be for your benefit. Oh, it might fair. be for the team. Fair enough. Just help, just helping out, adding a little bit of, uh, How uncomfortability to you. That's all good. The, uh, so yeah, with that, Craig, really appreciate the conversation. It's been fantastic. Lots lots of information and if you would kindly step out of my brain now and walk away, <laughs> <laughs> i can just move on uh it has been fantastic so as i learn all about all kinds of things in my, in my own brain and how i affected things it allowed me to build into the person that i am today which allows me to help everyone else out there grow into the people that they're meant to be and you can do that with us every day on the collective we'll see you all tomorrow chimo, chimo.